0: In this episode, we review five things that humans do to keep themselves stuck. My name is Justin Censeri. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist who is obsessed with the Bagel theory. Welcome to Stuck Not Broken. I do want to put a, a clear warning ahead of time. This episode is potentially uh, triggering. We are going to talk about things that we ourselves do to keep ourselves in a stuck state. This might apply to you. You do know yourself best, so please put yourself first. I do want to also say, quick disclaimer, this is, of course, this is not therapy. This is not intended to be therapy. This is not intended to replace therapy. Uh, Please make sure you're seeking out your own therapeutic support as needed, okay? I'm on my blog here, justinlmft.com. I've got a blog with all kinds of articles and information here and there's one that is called five things humans do to keep themselves stuck. So we know that hopefully by now that wild animals they're really really good at self-regulation. They uh their, their survival kind of depends on it. If if they were in a shutdown state, they would they'd be very easy prey. They would, that would just be kind of it. Human beings aren't wild animals, obviously hopefully hopefully obviously I guess unless you're a toddler, human beings are not Wild animals. So, what is the difference? Why is it our self regulation is different or our capacity to self regulate is different than wild animals? And what is it that we do to prevent the natural process of self regulation from happening? And I will so let me say three things here as well at the outset here. For those that, that need me to say so, am I suggesting that the environment is not a factor in somebody's self regulation? No, of course not. Am I suggesting that people should just be able to decide to self-regulate now? No, No, I'm not. Am I suggesting that traumatized people are to blame for their state? No, no, I'm I'm definitely not. So just want to clear that up. The purpose of this episode and and the blog that I wrote originally is to discuss what the individual does to keep themselves in a stuck defensive state. This is not an exhaustive list, and please feel free to, to email me. And let me know, like, what else would you add? What do we do to keep ourselves stuck? I do have a separate blog, and I will probably make this into an episode where I talk about what do humans do to keep each other stuck? Because, yeah, of course, it's not just the individual, but also on an interpersonal level that we are keeping each other stuck, and we do keep ourselves stuck. None of this I I think that we do on purpose. No one is looking to stay stuck. I don't think that's uh, happening whatsoever. But nonetheless, these things are happening. All right. Number One, keeping secrets wild animals don't keep secrets right they I think they actually do the opposite when something is even potentially amiss or wrong they they let the surrounding wild animals know about it. They make loud shrills, they tense their muscles they they do things to communicate potential danger, and even after the fact, even after they maybe have survived some sort of predatory attack. The mammal will return to their herd or their family, or they'll seek safety with each other they they go back to each other, and I'd imagine that if they could, they would communicate that something had just happened. I think at the very least wild animals would communicate in their own way that they need safety and connection they would they would seek it out from each other and they would I think they give it to each other mammals at least they don't really come back to the herd with shame, I don't think, and this is. Probably my speculation, but I don't think they really come back to the herd in shame. I don't think they feel shame for what they survived. They simply they seek safety, and I I think they're welcomed and I think they're protected by each other for for the most part, as much as I can tell. But human beings, we keep secrets. We don't. And again, I don't think this is a conscious choice. I don't think people want to keep secrets. It's and again, I'm also not blaming here as well. It's just simply the reality that for many individuals who are in a stuck defensive state that secrets are a part of that. That person might be a victim of abuse and maybe they do keep that secret uh, because the predator is making them or is, is is a threat to somebody else and they feel like they have to keep the secret. Or they keep the secret because their support circle is simply not supportive or they don't believe them or they lash out against them for speaking up about the secret. But someone could also keep a secret because of the shame that they feel. They can't bring themselves to disclose to somebody else what happened or is happening. Or or maybe they keep a secret because they don't want to face the vulnerability of disclosure. It feels very exposing and, and vulnerable, right? Or maybe just thinking about whatever it is is just unbearable and they keep it to themselves. So, keeping a secret, I don't think has to translate directly to some sort of specific event. Um, I don't think that people are, are simply keeping secrets about the thing, about the event. I think it also refers to just generally, we keep feelings within. We, human beings, we keep our feelings to ourselves. And I think we kind of keep our feelings a secret. I mean, we don't share them with others, but we also don't even acknowledge it to the self. Like we, we have these, uh, I guess, intricate or elaborate denial. Mechanisms and behavioral adaptations, we do things to prevent ourselves from even being aware of the pain, of being aware of the feelings and the thoughts and the memories and the somatic sensations. We keep these as hidden or as disguised or as covered up as possible. So why does keeping a secret ensure that somebody stays stuck? Because the individual's not allowing that stuck energy to mobilize and then to seek help? So that autonomic nervous system is staying in a state of danger. What it needs to do is to utilize that stuck defensive energy to find help. And hopefully if they do that, their request for help will be heard by someone that can actually use their own sympathetic energy to make something happening to get them help. Or that the other person they go to could use their own ventral vagal activation, their safety state, to at least be a co-regulator, or hopefully do both, right? The second thing that humans do to keep themselves stuck is isolating, and this is similar to the first one, because look, we're, we're social creatures. We need each other. It doesn't just feel good to be around each other. We need each other. Humans need each other to co-regulate on uh, an interpersonal level. The interpersonal co-regulation helps to foster self-regulation on the individual level. So the interpersonal affects the individual. And yeah, the individual definitely affects the interpersonal. When we survive something that's potentially traumatic, it's really important that we have safe connections with safe other people. These safe connections with safe other people will help that survivor to, or that person who's potentially traumatized to climb back up their own polyvagal ladder and into their safety state. But when we isolate, the potential to climb our polyvagal ladders is obviously minimized because we, now we're cutting ourselves off from other people. And I, like, I know, some of us need solitude to recharge, and that is absolutely me. But but I'm not. that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, isolate. Not solitude, isolation. When someone keeps to themselves and then cuts other people off it, um, as well. Generally, I think that being alone is a cue of danger. Again, we're social. So when we're alone, I think our, there's a neuroception of danger on some level. We generally do better with safe environments and safe other people. Belonging is its kind of uh, important. It's not uniquely human. All mammals, I think, need to belong to a group, and we're no different. We are mammals. But as far as I know, we're the only ones that isolate. And this is especially true, I think, of the dorsal vagal shutdown state. When we're in that shutdown state, there's a deep feeling of loneliness, right? There's an impulse to confine yourself, to be alone. My more depressed clients, they often share very similar pieces of the puzzle, the shutdown puzzle. They share things like staying in the rooms, they want to be alone, they want to lay in bed, they want the lights off. Maybe a little bit of light coming in through the you know sunlight, through the blinds, or just like a small light on in the room. They, they feel tired. There's, a, there's an impulse to rest. But all these pieces of the shutdown state, or what people call depression, I think, but all these pieces of the shutdown state are really an illustration of isolation, of cutting yourself off. The impulse to fulfill this scene, to, to be alone, to to isolate, There there's an impulse there, and I think there's a lot of truth. Our bodies know that this is a part of the puzzle of climbing the ladder. This is a part of climbing the ladder. I don't want to mix my metaphors too much here. The body is saying that being alone or being still, being safe, being in a situation that has low stimulation, being in a secure, predictable environment, this has something to do with what I need next. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. I think the fact that all, that pretty much every... Person I've met with who's in more of a shutdown, depressive place, that they have very similar impulses to be alone and to, sh- and to uh, have low stimulation. I think the next impulse is to reorient to the environment slowly and allow that sympathetic energy to return. But the problem here is so that I think there's truth here, but the problem is that there's a disconnection from our conscious mind to the somatic impulses that are naturally there and are telling us what to do next. So, with that disconnection of the conscious mind and the somatic self, the body is perpetually stuck in this impulse of of isolating, of this scene that I just sort of painted here, of isolation. The, the problem is the disembodiment of, of not being attuned to what the body needs. Part of the problem here also is the thoughts that we have around this, and I'll talk about that more in number four. But part of it is, I think the maybe the most significant part of it is cutting other people off that could potentially maybe be safe co-regulators. And that helps to keep us stuck. Number three, behavior adaptations. So like I said, I think at the beginning, the autonomic nervous system, it naturally wants to self-regulate. It naturally wants to to release any sort of stuck defensive energy and to gain more access to the safe and social ventral vagal biological pathways. It, because from there, that's where the mammalian body can optimize its use of bodily resources. That's where health and growth and restoration happen, as Dr. Porges says. But when when us human beings, when we feel that defensive energy lingering when it's stuck in our system, we, instead of attuning to it and allowing that discharge to happen, allowing that self-regulation to happen, we do something else to, to get some temporary. Relief, temporary relief. Especially as that stuck defensive energy builds in intensity, we do these things called behavioral adaptations. And I've talked about this in a couple episodes prior, not too long ago. It might be small things like grinding our teeth or picking our cuticles or shaking our legs, uh, pen clicking maybe. But we also engage in more serious and more severe behavioral adaptations like substance use and hair picking. Or overeating. So that that individual does not have the vagal break strength to tolerate their stuck defensive energy. So instead, they engage in these behaviors, these behavioral adaptations to get a relief from that intense stuck defensive energy. No, unfortunately, these behaviors don't really help in the long run. It's a very short term benefit. They actually probably make life a lot more difficult. And have larger consequences to them. Like something like substance abuse. There's going to be larger consequences to that. But in the short term. These behavioral adaptations. They serve their purpose. So rather than doing these behavioral adaptations. That simply divert. The the stuck defensive energy. What we need to do is to build. The vagal break strength. To tolerate the energy. And then allow it to. Return. Or to discharge. And to do that, we have to have more activation of the ventral vagal pathways. And I have a course, that's called Building Safety Anchors, that teaches you how to do this. And it has 30 days of small steps of doing and learning and practicing to activate these safety pathways to get more in the present moment and to build the tolerance for that stuck defensive energy. The course goes into six different pathways or six different possible avenues for feeling safety like through the environment or through uh, some movement or through uh, senses and music, cognitions, and even memory. So six different avenues that could provide potential grounding in your ventral vagal pathways uh, through Building Safety Anchors. My course i will have a link in the description down below. It's really for anyone that is ready for change and can invest in it and can dedicate themselves to 30 days of, of small doses, again, small doses of learning and doing. Number four is creating stories. Human beings, we have the capacity to build complex language. And with that complex language comes complex ideas and reasoning, but also excuse making and stuff we just kind of make up. When it comes to being stuck, we create stories, which can be one or more of these things that I listed. So we might just make stuff up, we might be excuse making, we might reason and have other complex ideas that keep us stuck in our state. So first, we need to understand the concept of story-follow state from Deb Dana. Basically, what this means is that the thoughts in our mind, the thoughts that we have in our head are are directly related to and stemming from the polyvagal state that we're in. So the same situation for the same person can lead to different thoughts or stories from that same person, depending on what state they're in. The conscious mind of that person is attempting to make sense of the situation and make sense of whatever state they're in, of, of their polyvagal state. The, the conscious mind is attempting to come up with a narrative or an explanation for the state that they're in. Somebody who's in a shutdown state, they're going to have thoughts about probably how worthless they are. I don't Not that I think that, but the thoughts will be around their worth, and it'll be probably a low evaluation of their worth. A- again, not they're not worthless. You're not worthless if that's you. Someone right. who's stuck in a defensive fight sympathetic state is going to have thoughts about what a jerk maybe somebody else is. Both of these thoughts are there because of the polyvagal state that the person's in, and because of that stuck defensive energy. So if these individuals were to climb their polyvagal ladders, their thoughts would change along with Wherever they're at on their political ladder. But these thoughts also serve the probably unintentional consequence of keeping that person in their stuck defense state. So instead of focusing on the, the thoughts of worthlessness, that shutdown individual could instead focus on the experience of what it feels like to be or to feel worthless. That's the are worthless. So that again, let that shutdown individual could instead of focusing on the thoughts of worthlessness, focus on the experience or the feeling of worthlessness in relation, like and what that feels like in their bodies, what I mean, like where they're having that feeling, what it feels like, what it looks like, what texture it has, and how long that feeling wants to stick around maybe. Once somebody is more attuned to their somatic feelings, like, like I just listed, the ladder climbing can really start to begin. So rather than the thoughts focusing on what is happening uh bottom up human beings we also shame and we judge ourselves you do it I do it we all do it i don't animals don't do that yeah they they can feel shame but it's not this um self-directed shame toward the self that we do and the last one number 5 we feel fear with polyvagal state shifts i i so i know i know none of this is all that easy I know. It takes time, it takes practice, it takes patience. One of the problems with all of this ladder-climbing stuff that I keep talking to you about is the experience of it. Or potentially, potentially. Because it's intense. It can be very intense. And if you don't know what to expect, then that sympathetic energy that returns or attempts to discharge it might be too much for somebody, for that person. And if it's too much, fear is going to become involved because the energy can't come out. So fear is really kind of the experience of having that high energy, but it's stuck. It can't come out. It can't fulfill its natural purpose. So instead of that fear response with that stuck defensive energy, we want to meet it with some curiosity and acceptance and relief. And that that requires we have more ventral vagal activation. And I'm not talking about relief like through um, a behavioral adaptation, but the relief that somebody gets from actually discharging the stuck defensive energy. It might feel like these waves of sympathetic energy coursing uh, through the system, or shame expunging itself. You might feel the impulse, or even you might start to smile and, and to feel grateful for the release that has just occurred. That that kind of relief, not behavioral adaptation relief. No, it's not easy, but it, it is doable eventually. So fear, we, we feel fear when these state shifts start to happen. It freaks us out, we panic. And it just reinforces and keeps us stuck. And again, if you're interested in my course, justinlmft.com or just tap the link in the description down below. I do want to just express one more time that I don't think anyone does this on purpose. I'm not. This is, has nothing to do with blame. It just simply, it is what it is. This is what we do. And it's, we have to kind of relearn, at least uh, consciously, co- cognitively, we have to relearn from the top down how to do these things. I think that we're born with the capacity to self-regulate on more of a, well, not really a bottom-up. It's more of a whole body kind of thing, top-down and bottom-up. I think we're born with the capacity to do that, and then we more or less lose it along the way. And I think on a larger human level, we've definitely lost that natural impulse to self-regulate and to be with those sensations. So I do think we can do this. I do think you can do it. I don't think it's easy. This has nothing to do with blame. It just It's what we do. It is what it is. Hopefully this episode did help you in your own journey of polyvagal self-regulation. I appreciate listening. Thank you so much.